Hello, I'm Noah Gibbs, and this is Computer Science, Just the Useful Bits. I'm here with Caitlin Greffley, who went from a career in beer to a career in coding. Uh, she went by means of boot camp a little more than a year ago and now develops software for a living. Uh, so it's wonderful to talk to you today. Tell me a little about that boot camp thing. You know, wh where'd you do it? How'd you do it? How'd you learn to do this? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Noah. Um, I found out about boot camps just kind of by Googling. I didn't really know anyone in the industry, in the tech industry. Um, I was 31 at the time and thought, I don't really want to go back and get another degree. I have a bachelor's in psychology um, that I got <clears throat> earlier in life. And it just felt like a lot of time and money for someone my age to put in. And I just didn't Maybe I didn't have the patience for it. I don't know. But I wanted to see uh, what other routes were out there. So I started Googling around and found that, I mean, for six months, and I paid about $9,000, um, I could learn some skills that I could actually use on the job that might not be totally equivalent to a CS degree, but could still help me get my foot in the door in tech. So um, I ended up going with the Thinkful uh, software engineering program and I spent yeah six months remote about between 20 to 30 hours a week most weeks some weeks a lot more just because I got stuck um, and yeah I learned became a full stack engineer full stack in air quotes kind of because I don't I don't know if I am or if anyone is but um, yeah full stack is always in air quotes yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I learned a lot of skills and then landed a job last October. So I've been there almost a year now. Nice. Uh, the what you say about thankful with the you know twenty to thirty hours a week and doing that for six months that actually sounds really good. You know, mm -hmm. you you hear about boot camps that are much much shorter than that that are just not necessarily all that much material. But it's it's great to hear that you you know you went to one that actually did a lot of training. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a big time commitment. I know some people do it all the way through with a full-time job. I had a full-time job for the first uh, three months, and then I quit my job so that I could focus more fully on it because in the back half, I spent a lot more time um, kind of networking, applying to jobs, and then perfecting my portfolio so I could get hired. But yeah, I mean, they do, it's totally flexible, and it was on my own schedule, which was great because at the time when I was working for a brewery, um, my schedule was all over the place. Some some nights I had to be drinking beer and you just can't get around that. So, <laughs> uh, Excellent. You know, I, I can I can think of worse things to have to do for a job. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you probably get that a lot. Yeah, I did. Excellent. So you, um, you've been at the job for about a year. It means you've had some time to, you know, settle in and do some real projects. And, you know, mm -hmm. you've, you've had time to actually be a professional software developer for a little while. How do you feel that the boot camp did at preparing you for it? Um, I think it did as well as it could do in six, with six months of training. I think um, I also started out with zero knowledge. Um, I had coded just around um, for maybe a month before starting the boot camp, just like playing around on free code camp and stuff like that. So. Yeah. I really started just from like the baseline and in six months, there's only so much you can learn of anything. Um, but I feel like it taught me a couple of useful skills, like how to be frustrated and work through it. Um, how to like ask the right questions and kind of research when you 
hit a problem. Um, I actually, my boot camp was in different languages than I ended up being hired into. So I didn't necessarily take exactly what I learned there, but it's, it taught me like, yeah, the principles of it, how to think about it and switching from, you know, React to Angular isn't terribly complicated. It's just kind of learning, learning a couple of new skills. And I mean, yeah, I feel, I feel like I was as prepared as I could be. And I got lucky and got a job where they were very supportive of me continuing to learn on the job. I wasn't expected to know everything when I got there and they, you know, encouraged me to take and still do take like plural site classes and stuff online so that I can up my knowledge as I go. And then, yeah, I think this, this career path in general is constant learning. So you just kind of get used to not knowing what's going on and knowing that you'll figure it out. Yeah, it, it really is. You know, the, the people kind of, kind of venerate the, the, the path where you start at 12 years old and you've been doing this forever. And, I, you know, speaking from experience, you might think that my experience in AppleSoft Basic on the Apple IIe, like I just use that every day. And so, boy, it's a good thing I got that. But I, I haven't yeah. found, you know, most, most weeks I, I use much of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's, that's great to hear. You mentioned that you uh, learned different languages in the boot camp than you used on the job. Uh, what, did you, what did you learn in the boot camp? What did you use on the job? Um, in my boot camp, I started off with a JavaScript foundation and went into the React framework. Um, and then in front end at my job now, we uh, work in Angular, Angular JS even, and some newer Angular versions. Um, and then on the back end, I learned Node, and now we are in a C-sharp.net world over here. And then I also spend a good chunk of time in, on the AWS uh, console, so I didn't learn any of that in bootcamp. I, I think that's pretty standard. AWS yeah. would be a rough thing to, to teach a new, anybody, yeah. really. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. My, my experience was that AWS, it's not even all that complicated. It's just not very friendly. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good path. I mean, I, I don't know. I had a weird path. So yeah, I'm always guessing what's actually a good path, but that, that yeah. sounds good to me. Having the extra structure of C-sharp and .NET sounds like it would be really reassuring after the kind of Wild West, like anything goes, toss, toss your types in a bag and, and, you know, more or less the right thing will come out from, uh, from JavaScript. Yeah. I mean, well, I actually feel more like front end minded. Um, so I've, I've spent a little more time on the front end stuff and, mm-hmm. And C-sharp.net for me, it's it's easy enough to work in. It's just like, there's a lot of complex like theories around it and patterns. And um, I did a design patterns course with some other teammates a couple months ago. And there's just some like bigger ideas that to really write clean code in C-sharp, I, I feel like I need to do a better job at wrapping my head around it. I can function there. I can like work my tickets and, and get the code out, but I... Yeah, it's it's been interesting to try and um, catch up on those things that I might have gotten with a more traditional educational background. You know, if you if you find yourself looking at a particular approach in C sharp and you get to where you say, I understand this, and I see why somebody might do it, and I see mm-hmm. why it's useful, but it really seems like they're just going about it in a, a bizarre way because the you know for for some cultural reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, let me tell you, that probably means you've understood it completely. That probably means you're there and you're right. Yeah. (laughs) Not just C-sharp, but, you know, if you're coming from front end toward back end, 
an awful lot of back end is uh, cultural fostering. I mean, it's human activity. A whole lot of all human activity is cultural fostering, but uh, back end is maybe a little little purer that than uh, that than some things humans do. <laughs> you, you mentioned in uh, in our exchange of messages before we got here that uh, with source control, you know, you didn't feel like you'd done anything terribly formal with it, and so you weren't sure how much you had to say about it. Let me start by saying almost nobody gets a real formal education in source control. Yeah. I've, I've talked to a handful of people, and yeah, I've talked to a handful of people, if you include the ones who do things like designing source control systems. Some of the newer source control systems, you could say people got a, a formal education in it because it's sort of similar to a branch of mathematics, and they got a, an education in something that doesn't help you day to day, but would help you if you decided to sit down and write a source control system. Yeah. Don't know many people that have done that. And I, I actually know surprisingly few people that even suggest it. So yeah, I, I don't think anybody gets a real formal education in that. Did you did you get much sort of practical how to do source control stuff in, in your boot camp? I think my boot camp talked about it. I think it was like reading about what source control is like. And because my boot camp was remote and we were working independently, I was I was never working as part of a team. Um and I knew that that was something I'd need to learn. So I ended up doing something called Collab Lab, where I was on a team with three other junior developers, and we were mentored by a more senior developer and manager. And that gave me my first experience with source control and different, like actually putting it into practice is, a, for me at the time, was a lot more complex than just reading about it. Like you read about it and you're like, sure, you just like, do your own work and then you merge it back in and it's fine. And, and then actually in practice, um, I remember my first merge conflict and I just remember thinking like, I am so glad that I'm this confused in like a safe space, like collab lab where, you know, it wasn't my employer. The people who were seeing that I had no idea what was going on were like, I was like, this is fine. They can know that I have no idea what's happening. Um, so I was really glad to get that experience because, I mean, I still, when merge conflicts come up and stuff like that, I, I mean, it can still stump me. Um, I think I've heard a lot of people have to Google kind of what to do when you get trapped in a Git mess. If I was ever going to release a Git class, I think about it every so often, you know, I, I think yeah. maybe I need to write a Git class. I would have to frame the whole thing the same way I learned Git, which is basically you learn Git best by going somewhere where people don't really know how to use it and they make a mm -hmm. lot of terrible mistakes. And somebody who didn't know Git has put together the worst imaginable workflow, which you then have to, to, to get it to. Yeah. Because once you've done that, it turns out that using Git day-to-day -day is, is suddenly low stress and, and not a big deal. But Git is one of those things where, uh, you know, there's so much depth to it that it, mm -hmm. it feels like there might be an unlimited amount of depth. The same way, you know, when you look at the water, if you can't see down to the bottom, you have no idea how deep it is. Yeah. There is certainly a limit to Git, and you can absolutely hit it. And, and mm -hmm. you know, until you get there, you're never going to know you're near it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel like the, the troubles I've had with, like, version control and kind of meshing work together, I've often looked back on and thought like, I, that was my own fault. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like I put myself in that situation. I should have like known to, you know, do X, Y, or Z ahead of time. And, and then it's like, that. I feel like for me, that's how I've learned is just thinking like, okay, I know all this stuff in 
theory, not all the stuff, but like I know the basics in theory. And then when I actually practice them, remembering to do things in the right order and like keep everything clean and up to date is, yeah, that's where I've, I've had some fun lessons with like cherry picking and whatnot um, that I've, I've learned because of my own mistakes. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that's, I, I think we all do that. Boy, I hope everybody does that. If there's anybody who doesn't do that, I, I suddenly feel pretty <laughs> inadequate next to them. But yeah. I, I think everybody does that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you already know about get reflogged, right? I don't know if I've used that. Okay. Tell me about it. I'll tell you about it. And yeah, you, decent chance you'll say, oh, yeah, I know that one. No, yeah. so get reflog is a command. You just type git space R-E-F-L-O-G. And what it'll do is it will give you a list of what commits you were looking at most recently. Now, that's different from what the... You're nodding. Do you already know this one? I have not used it often, but I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. It, it's one of those, you know, the, the worst thing with Git is always, oh, wow, did I just completely lose access to that commit? Have I just, you know, effectively destroyed my work? Right. And, you know, Git reflog is the way to sort of shuffle back, not through the, the branches history, but through your own history sitting and staring mm -hmm. at it. And so, yeah, it means, it means it's really hard to actually lose work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then if you, if you already know about the reflog, that's, that's one of the, the first ones that people tend to recommend when what you want to do is to be able to make a lot of mistakes without actually breaking anything permanently. Nice. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan for exactly Always that. Always what I want to be able to do. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm sure you know this one, but you, know, you can also cp-r on the, on the directory. You can, you can literally just make a copy of the whole repository as soon as things are kind of screwed up because yeah. you know, then you can move on to very screwed up but have a, have a way you know you can revert. <laughs> Yeah, I've actually just like deleted some of my local repositories before and started over because I'm like, I don't, oh, absolutely. I don't know where this went wrong. <laughs> I'll just start fresh. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a few things built in to get that'll, uh, that'll do that kind of thing for you. You probably mm -hmm. already know git reset dash dash hard. Uh, oh, yeah, that also scares me. <laughs> well, and it's exactly the same kind of scary. Uh, it, yeah. Yeah, if, if you've got the ref log, it turns out it won't lose anything that's committed. And once mm -hmm. you get, uh, once you get, confident about en enough about that, you will then realize that what I just said, only if you've actually committed it, means <laughs> that you can still wor lose work if you try. I, I certainly have. Um, wow. Yeah, we use, um, at work, we use Bitbucket to track a lot of our work as well. Um, and that I find really easy to use. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely of the camp of, I was chatting about this with someone recently where I noticed that it seems like the more senior developers, they'll do a big ticket and they'll have like three commits in the ticket when I go to look at the PR and I'll have like a little ticket and I'll have like 20 commits. I just like commit all the time <laughs> and like yeah. um, that's kind of my, my habit. Well, you'll see a lot, of, uh, a lot of folks do a thing where they commit a lot and then they sort of rejigger all the commits before they actually submit it. You, you, know, the, you know what I mean? You've yeah. Kind of like squash them and yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. You can you can treat your commits as kind of an output format. I always feel a little weird about that because you're you know you're you're rewriting your progress in hindsight. Mm -hmm. It feels like Git should have some way to say you know you know in a standard way, okay, here's my giant messy thing of commits. Here's mm -hmm. the set of commits that I refashioned them into. Yes, I'm going to merge that, but there yeah. should also be a reference back to. And yeah, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever been to a place that actually had that as a formal workflow that saved both steps of that. But of course yeah. you can also just, uh, you can also just kill off the first step and, uh, and, and right. uh, do the same if, if you don't actually care about your progress. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't mind seeing, having people see my, my messiness, just like commit, like try to think, commit, undo. Yeah. <laughs> thing did not work. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of the idea that original sources are almost always basically better because mm -hmm. anything I've processed and, and I've only kept the processed version, you know, if I screwed anything up there, then it's, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned plural site class, uh, classes and that your, your current employer is, uh, is very supportive of that, that kind of thing. What in general do you do to improve these days? What kind of things do you do to, to, to move your game forward? Yeah, um, other than just work, which every day at work, I feel like I'm doing something that I am learning on. Um, I, I have, so I took that C-sharp design patterns course recently um, I'm reading the Pragmatic Programmer uh, with a couple of coworkers as well. Yeah, so partway through that, uh, we did clean code right when I started and got through that. Um, so those conversations are, are always really good because I'm, again, the most junior person in that group of people, um, as is usually the case. And so I, there's a lot to learn from people chatting about these different theories and ways of working the code. Um, I, so my next thing that I really wanna get into is, um, getting kind of the basic AWS certification. And so I was kind of looking into like a cloud guru or um, different courses on that. Cause that is something I feel like I'm in AWS so much that I should show off <laughs> yeah. that ability. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's just nice that my, my company does give us two hours a week for personal development time. Um, so trying to figure out what to do with that time. Like I, attended the, the Angular com virtual conference earlier in the year. Um, and yeah, I feel like there's always so many things on my list that I want to learn. Uh, totally unrelated to my work, I saw Wes Boss just release a Gatsby uh, course and I was like, oh, I want to do that too. <laughs> so I think like right now my, I really have to like kind of focus on what I want to improve on. If it's for me, I'm kind of between like diving deeper into Angular or um, like the AWS certification and one of those two. And, and then it's kind of just like, I don't know, finding, finding the right course. And um, I go on dev a bunch. And if you can see I'm wearing a dev sweatshirt. Um, <laughs> and I, I learned a lot on there from those folks. And honestly, just kind of being around on Twitter um, and seeing there's a lot of people out there to learn from in a very casual way that doesn't feel like an intense classroom setting all the time. Yeah, oh no, the amount of information that's just kind of floating around out there is amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm an old guy, you know, I graduated in 98. So uh, I, the, the fact that you can go on Twitter and there's just all this stuff, like it's great. Yeah. You know, it it's for that matter, open source code, like just being able to go and find good code and it's just sitting yeah. there. Like th there was a little bit, like technically we, we could go out and read the code to, you know, GNU Emacs or GCC, even when I graduated, but uh, yeah. I don't necessarily recommend that exercise, uh, but by and large. <laughs> yeah, and um, another thing that I have done a couple times on the side is um, help my friends build their websites, and so that to me is kind of a fun exercise in design. Um, personal websites aren't terribly complex a lot of the time, um, but it's kind of fun to like play around with colors and fonts and I, I enjoy that stuff and it's not something I do at work. Um, so, cause we have UX designers built in who tell us all what to make pretty and how to, how to make it pretty. Yep. Um, 
So that's like another kind of side project of mine that I'll just, that's what I, what ends up being on my GitHub is probably kind of a mess of code, but I'm really focusing on like kind of the design and um, playing around with some different fun features and animations and stuff like that. So. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the stuff you've got doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be yeah. something interesting. And so if what you're yeah. playing with is the color, then, you know, stick it in the readme and you're good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. That's I've definitely done a lot more design, you know, in, in recent years than I had for the many years before that. I'm, I'm starting to appreciate, I mean, I, I knew it was a challenging thing, but I'm starting to appreciate which are the hard bits now, which is, is, yeah. is more interesting, you know. It's, it's a little like, you know, if you're not a musician listening to music, it's like, obviously there's something hard in making that, but that doesn't mean I could tell you what. Right, yeah. <laughs> I've heard varying answers from front-end people, so I'll ask you for, for, uh, for your answer. Um, data structure stuff, you know, kind of basic algorithm stuff, have you found that that was something you did a lot of training in for front end? Have you found it useful if you did do it? You know, where where, where do you feel you know front end and, and algorithms and data structure stuff tends to tends to come together, or does it? Yeah, I mean that's honestly not something I've spent a lot of time in. There is um, obviously like at my company because I do dabble in like the back end as well. Like we deal with data structures. I I haven't kind of dove into that as much as I should yet, because honestly, there's just oodles to learn and um, taking it one thing at a time. And then algorithms to me is kind of like, that That was one of the books I really wanted to read next. Um, there's, I got it, I'm spacing on the name, but there's a great algorithms book out there that I've heard is good because I didn't really get a lot of that in my boot camp, um, partially because there wasn't, a ton and partially because it was at the very end of the boot camp and I got hired actually before I finished my boot camp. So I just kind of like started my job. Um, well, well done. <laughs> and algorithms, it feels like this big thing that sounds scary to me, but then I like realize, like someone will point out that I'm like using it in the work that I do. And so it's something that I, I would love to find a place to get a slightly more formal education on algorithms or like a better understanding so that I have like the tools to discuss it better because when coworkers start using more formal terms, I think that's where I feel like I'm getting in the weeds more and I can learn, but I'm not always feeling like I'm contributing in that way. And I think that's true kind of front end. We don't seem to deal with that kind of talk doesn't seem to come up on the front end as much. It's more on the back end. Um, I think that some boot camps do a really good job at preparing people and some people are more interested in that kind of stuff that they, they learn more on their own. Like I was hired at the same time as another woman who came from a, a different boot camp, And she, when she was hired, she immediately was leaning towards the back end. She was more interested in that. And I felt like she could talk more knowledgeably about those topics and I was leaning more towards interest in front end. And so I kind of dove deeper there. Um, so yeah, it, it has been interesting to try and catch up with some of those things that it feels like more advanced developers talk about or people with actual CS backgrounds. Um, but I feel like I'm actually using some of it without knowing it. It's just, it's like a back 10 years ago or so, I was an English teacher abroad and, and I thought, how hard could this be? I speak English. And, and then they started asking me, 
all these questions about, you know, the preposition and the structures of sentences. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know, repeat after me. Like I'm doing it. I know how to do it <laughs> for the most part, but I couldn't really tell you how or what I'm doing. <laughs> no, that makes sense to me. I, uh, long time ago worked on on muds which were old like 1980s era text games and you know you try to do a little bit of parsing english which uh for people that are serious about it is is an enormous and very deep topic and so i thought okay well you know i i, I have a decent grasp of english i'll sit down i'll read a grammar book and yeah you don't realize either how complicated that is or how much english doesn't actually bother to follow most of its own rules you know, <laughs> yeah. until you until you learn the rules <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that you're, I think you're perceiving that very exactly when you say that a lot of what you lack is the tools to talk about it the same way that, that a lot of other developers are. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not at all surprised to hear you're already, you're already, you know, using it. And you've probably noticed uh, that developers who do a lot of that, including in, in their computer science degrees, usually forget most of the formal tools that they're taught to do it early mm -hmm. on in their career. Uh, I, I talk to a lot of people who remember the basics of OWN notation and only a few who can still do a recurrence. Yeah, I think um, I've heard that no CS degree uh, has some great online kind of reading and stuff on on all the things that you kind of miss out if you don't get a CS degree in terms of, I think that would probably fill a lot of gaps in like how to talk about these things, uh, which would be great. And then it, it is easy to get caught up in the application of stuff and just doing the work and um, kind of pushing yourself to like make sure that you kind of can explain what you're doing. <laughs> that to me is where, you know, I probably should push myself a little more. Some of these things effectively, you're going to wind up teaching yourself practically whether you've had the formal education or not. Oh, then mm -hmm. is actually a great example in that there's a formal way that they teach you in the university and mostly it won't help you very much day to day but it does at least lead you in the direction of, you know, getting the right gut feel for it. And the mm -hmm. gut feel is going to happen through doing the work on the job, whether you got the formal education or not. It's right. at best a, a difference in how long it takes you to pick it up. Mm -hmm. Let's see. So six months is a while. What did you find especially valuable in the bootcamp curriculum? Hmm. So recently I was talking to a woman who is about halfway through the thankful boot camp and um, I, it was kind of making me reminisce on my time there and and what was challenging and what was like what I really use and like I've heard people kind of say this and I think I mentioned it before but it's it really is just like kind of teaching you how to think like a programmer it's like these new muscles that you have to use in your brain that I wasn't used to using as part of selling beer. I used different muscles in my brain. Um, yeah. and <laughs> of course. Just the drinking muscle. Um, but I think it's like wiring those like new pathways and then learning to work from a place of like kind of frustration. Like I remember the first projects that I worked on feeling so frustrated that I just wanted to give up and I was like hitting these roadblocks and thinking this is impossible I'll never figure this out and I don't think that I hit like am any less frustrated now I just don't have the same emotional response to it I don't think like oh my god this is awful like I'm never gonna get through this I'm this is the end of the world I just I hit the same similar like different blockers 
every sprint, every, maybe every day, depending on the sprint. But I see those and I like, my brain now works in a different way. I think like, okay, like what could I do to try and figure out just the first smallest part of this so that I can move forward? And I think for me, just that was kind of the biggest thing I got from boot camp because boot camps are hard. Like for whatever else is said about them, like you're, I mean, it's a boot camp. That's yeah. why that name, <laughs> why it's called that. But it's, you're doing a lot really fast and trying to stuff a ton of stuff in your brain just all at once. And, and so it can be very trying, but then what you get from that is learning how to work through that. And so I think that's, to me, like the biggest thing that I'll, I'll take with me. That makes a lot of sense. I, I remember, you know, every year of university toward the end of the year, I had kind of that sloshy feeling where I was mm -hmm. trying to trying to absorb more than I could. Some of it was sitting around waiting to absorb and some of it was just not going to. Um, yeah. That's how I'm doing a good job of teaching myself when I can get to the point of having that same sloshy feeling where I just can't <laughs> absorb it all fast enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a fun feeling. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's also, you know, wonderful to be able to stop and, and actually absorb it instead of having to just keep going at full speed and take tests on it. I've got to say, I, I, yeah. like, the, I like the current setup better that way. Yeah, I think that was, that's one thing that I've thought, especially about people looking for their first job in tech, just about um, like the technical interview process. Uh, having live technical challenges for juniors, I think is like so wild because you've just stuffed like, I was like, there's, what are the odds that someone's going to ask me a question that not only do I know the answer of, but I can like dig into the depths of my brain of everything I've put in the last six months and find it in a reasonable amount of time. I'm a much bigger fan of the, the take home projects <laughs> for those. Yeah. I, I have the uh, enormous luck to be really good at whiteboard interviews. Wow. That yeah. is a great skill. <laughs> oh, I, I, well, I mean, we, um, we had a teacher that didn't really want to be teaching programming many years ago. And so we uh, all got to sit around and, and work through the program in our heads and then write it out on graph paper. And she wanted to debug your version on graph paper and find all the problems she could find before you actually got to sit down at the computer. And wow. I've got to say, it's a very similar process. Yeah, it's, sounds like that would prepare you well. I, for, for whiteboard interviews, absolutely. I mean, I don't know that it's particularly useful for the job, but it's great <laughs> preparation for whiteboard interviews. Yeah. <laughs> I know uh, you're relatively early in your career, but I assume you've got strong opinions about how people should do things. Pretend this podcast gets massively popular. Pretend that people hear it and they go, oh, wow, her I want to know more about. What she had to say, I want to hear more about that. If this was a Twitter thread, it would have just gone viral and you'd be posting your SoundCloud. So what's your SoundCloud? Where would you, where, where would you hope people go next? Um, I don't have a SoundCloud. <laughs> um, I... I would say for one, I would not be surprised if this podcast got massively popular because you have like the greatest radio voice. It's like talking to Fraser Crane. And I would say that for me right now, I mean, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm at the Kate code. Kate is spelled C-A-I-T. Um, and that's kind of where most of my going ons ha happen at this point. And like I said, I've, I've written on dev, um, in the past, more religiously, honestly, once COVID hit, I lost a little bit of that inspiration, but I really want to and intend to get back to it. And then, yeah, I think I'm, I'm just trying to build my career a little more to like, 
get better at speaking and doing some like conference talks and meetups and I love doing podcasts like this. This is great. Just because I like, I like connecting with people and I know that I have kind of a story that's resonated with a lot of people in terms of like feeling like you're maybe you're in your thirties or wherever you're at in life and feeling like, is it too late to change careers? Which is a thought I had many times and being kind of nervous about that. And I just had a good experience with it. I know that it's not like I come from a place of, of privilege to have been able to quit my job for three months and really focus on it and to even have the time outside of work to be able to do the coding boot camp. But I could not be more happy that I went on, went down this path because I'm just, yeah, it's, I have a much better work-life balance now. I love the, the work. It's challenging and fun and different every day. And like we talked about, like, it's just a career of learning. It's like being paid to go to school and make cool things for the rest of your life. So yeah, I think. Hmm? I was going to say whether that sounds like a really good thing or a really bad thing probably has a lot to do with whether this is a good career. Right. Uh, I love it too. <laughs> yeah, to me that sounded really cool. So um, yeah, but I guess the, yeah, the roundabout way of answering your question is I'm on Twitter. I don't have SoundCloud. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I hope to just continue to be a bigger part of the community and help help people where I can and also just learn more myself. Obviously, technically, I'm less than a year into my career and have a lot to learn on the technical side. And I also look forward to connecting more with the community through learning because I know there are plenty of other people out there who are in similar places. Yeah, well, and you've, like you say, you've got a popular story. You've got a story people want to hear because you came from a very unrelated profession. And so it's clear that it's not that you were, I don't know, like an algorithms researcher or something. And so, of course, you just, you know, dropped right into coding. Um, and at the same time, you know, when you talk about getting the job offer before you even, you know, left boot camp, I mean, obviously you did something right on the way, on the way here. <laughs> yeah, I was just, I don't know, determined and didn't sleep and stressed out, but it, <laughs> it worked out in the end. And yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they always used to say was the story of a successful computer programmer. So I don't know, maybe that part's <laughs> the same. <laughs> Good training. <laughs> you talk about giving conference talks. I'll say that just for me personally, I'm a big fan of the idea that writing and then giving co conference talks is a great project-based way to learn. I mean, it's you, you have to think things through so carefully when you're going to explain them to somebody else. And of course, you've got yeah. that constant, oh, there's going to be like 100 people in the room, which means that for every 10 minutes of their time I waste, I'm wasting a 1,000 minutes of time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, if you, if, you, if you didn't already think of it that way, then I apologize if you now do. But I, I'm not the first person to say it, so at least I wouldn't be the first person to, to spoil that for you. Um, but no, tell me about that. Have you have you uh, given some talks? Have you, I assume, been to a bunch of conferences? Like, how's, how's that experience been for you so far? Um, so I have given talks mostly at um, meetups and smaller, smaller groups. I think the largest in-person room I did was like 40 people or something. I have been working up towards doing a technical talk. I've all my talks so far have kind of been about my transition into tech and what it's like to be a junior developer and a new job and, and those sorts of things. Um, I have been trying to, yeah, work towards a technical talk because it's, it does feel like, for me, it feels like I have to be an expert on the subject, which I know I've heard is not true, um, but it's kind of what you feel like when you're want to make sure that you're using people's time wisely. Um, and my 
process for that so far as I'm not even completely through it has been to just like write an article and put it on like dev and try and see if I feel if I feel like I could write an article completely and then get some feedback on that and kind of like reflect on it for a little while and see if there's any more I could add or like how to make it fun or something like that. Um, that is like kind of my, my testing ground for, for talks. That's most of the talks that I've done have been based on articles I've written on dev. Um, and that's just kind of how I see going forward, but it is, it is just kind of intimidating the technical talks because it's not just personal experience. It's, it's actual, there, there's facts and things you could get wrong. <laughs> no one can come up to me and say like, hey, you didn't use to sell beer, you're wrong. I'm like, no. So. <laughs> you know, one, one of the most terrifying times I've had during a talk, and I, I apologize, you know, to Lori for making it sound like this. She's wonderful. No, one of the most terrifying times I had during a talk was I, I gave a talk late 2019 at uh, RubyCon, which was basically, hey, it turns out that artists have the same basic problems in teaching that computer science does, that, that you know, computer programming more, more accurately mm -hmm. does. Uh, and so it turns out that some of the, the kinds of exercises they do, we can just steal those. Like we don't really even have to adapt them. We can just take the way they teach it and we can, and we can use that. And it's better mm -hmm. than what we currently do. And uh, you know, I'd, I'd gone through it and I thought it went really well. Like the, you know, I went through the talk and, and uh, mm -hmm. like you say, I have a good voice. I kept things rolling. It was okay. Mm -hmm. I, I answered a couple of questions and I was feeling pretty good about it. Uh, and a, you know, a woman raised her hand in the, in the front row. I, uh, I, I gestured toward her and she said, so I was trained in art and I just want to say, and there was that moment, like, you know, the moment where just, because if it was the other way, if I was an artist and I had come to a, to a place full of computer programmers and I'd just given what I thought was a pretty good presentation and we'd hit the moment that went, uh, <clears throat> I was trained in computer science and I just want to say, Nothing good will come after that. Yeah. Whatever, whatever follows that, like, oh, oh. But it turned out it was, it was great. She actually complimented me on several things that I'd said. I'd, if it makes it sound like, you know, Laurie was a terrible person, she really wasn't. It was just there was that brief nightmarish moment where I was convinced that everything was going to fall down. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll say something to you I say to a lot of people, and you can, it, it, it's presumably worth what you paid for it. But the important part, as far as the technical talk goes, is to decide who you're talking to, is to decide who your audience is. Mm -hmm. And the important part as far as figuring out you have something important to say is when you look at this technical thing you're giving a talk on, one, base it on your actual work experience. This should be something you actually used. I mean, it doesn't have to be literally at your job, but it has to be something where you did the work on a project. Mm -hmm. uh, and at that point, the person you're talking to is you at the beginning of that project, and you are speaking as you at the end of that project. And it yeah. turns out, yeah, for that, there can't be anybody more qualified in the world to talk to you at the beginning of that project. That makes sense. That's a, that's a good way of looking at it. And, and yeah, even though it, it's giving technical talks is, sounds very challenging, kind of scary. It's like a, a challenge that like, gets my blood pumping and, and makes me excited. So it's definitely something I'll do at some point. And yeah, thinking about kind of those different tips is it's a good way to look at it and try and get through it. What's the worst that could happen anyway? I don't know, in, in, my, in my dark fantasies of what could happen if I did it badly or, or like the actual worst in the real world? <laughs> I guess uh, it's just my hypothetical question that I ask and don't answer because I'm like, it's, I mean, I would live. <laughs> it's true. It's true. 
I mean, the worst you could do giving a conference talk is still very unlikely to cost you your job, and it's even less likely to cost you the ability to get a job later. Mm -hmm. And so, mostly in the long run, the worst that could happen is you could have a really good story. Yeah, <laughs> it's either a good time or a good story. It's a great way to put it. Yeah, and everything you say about how you prepare for it, about the way you pick topics and you know write articles and get feedback, all that still applies to the technical side. You know, all of that's the, the same as the right way to do it on the technical side. So it sounds like you've uh, you've got it figured out. Um, the one thing I haven't heard you mention that I always recommend to new speakers uh, is it turns out if you've got a job with a bunch of other software engineers, there's a pretty good chance that they use Outlook or Google Calendar or something, and there's some way you can like book a room and call a meeting. Mm -hmm. And it turns out, if you just do that at lunchtime, a bunch of random people will show up. And so it's a great way to get practice. Oh, okay. Yeah. And in fact, but it works. You, you might think people would say, who are you to call a meeting and give a talk? And I would say, uh, if, you're, if you're not feeling confident, do what I always did and say just exactly what I told you at the beginning of the meeting. You know, I, you might wonder, why am I here giving a talk? And the answer is, we have Google Calendar, and you can just call a meeting at lunchtime, and then a bunch of people show up. All of you did. Now, move on to the topic. <laughs> yeah, you showed up. It's, it's your own fault. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. You know you better than I know you. A, a, a lot better. I don't know you terribly well. On this topic of how you learned to write code, how you, how you got the job, etc., there's going to be some question that you're the right person to ask. There's going to be something that you know that not many people know because you've got a, an unusual setup. You know, you, you went through life and other people went through life in some completely different way. What should I have asked you about that that I haven't asked because I don't know you as well? That's a really good question. Um, I think, I mean, one thing I would think that I might be particularly good at because I have a background in sales is advocating for myself um, and putting myself out there, I think. Um, I don't know what question that would lead you to ask about me, but I think it's, it's kind of like that does have an effect on everyone's career in some way, your ability to advocate for yourself. And especially if you're coming from a less traditional background, if you, if you didn't just grow up with a, a laptop in your lap and coding from age three, then at some point you're, you're going to have to help yourself along and do things that you feel uncomfortable doing. I think that's something that a lot of people feel like they struggle with or struggle to do. And um, I've thought a lot about that because I know that I'm an extrovert and I'm outgoing and I like talking. And so it is something that comes a little more naturally to me, but I'm, I always try and kind of encourage people to step outside their comfort zone. And I've, asked for help in a lot of places and gotten answers that were like so above and beyond what I would have ex expected people offering to help offering to let me come to their place of work and shadow from them and learn and I feel like that only happens when you just kind of dive into the fear a little bit and think like okay this is kind of scary but if you don't ask you never get it I mean that's yeah coming from sales if you don't ask you're not going to get the sale <laughs> and and if you don't kind of show the face to your company or the people you're working with that you, you want to have, I'm going to start over. And then at work, I feel like I try and find a balance of being very honest about things that I'm struggling with or vulnerabilities I have, um, but also balance that with the advocating for myself and, and trying to show people that I'm growing and learning and, and making that kind of clear because 
I learned in previous jobs that even if you're doing a good job, if you're doing it quietly, you might not always get noticed. You might. I think this is a better line of work to get noticed if you're just doing your work quietly and well. But um, it's definitely something that I've taken with me and kind of sits in the back of my head from my previous line of work. You know, I think that sensibility that you won't just get noticed and you should do what you can to make sure people notice you, I think that will serve you really well, including in this line of work. Presumably you got started with the whole selling beer thing somehow. Was there anything resembling sales training or was there somebody you, you sort of shadowed and worked with? How, how'd you get into that? <laughs> um, completely accidentally. Um, after I graduated college, I graduated during the recession. Um, and so in lieu of going to grad school for what I wanted to do at the time, thought I wanted to do at the time, which was become a therapist, um, I became a bartender. I applied to be a bartender at a wine bar because I was a 22-year-old girl. I liked drinking wine. And they hired me for the beer bar they were opening instead. And it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. <laughs> I just got really into beer. Um, like, not not in a way that I just drank it all the time. I, I became a, a certified beer cicerone, which is kind of like a sommelier. Um, and... Nice. Yeah, and so I did not get any formal sales training until pretty late in my career um, when I was with a bigger company. Uh, the first company I worked for, I was the only sales employee um, after the bartender. I was the only sales employee, and then I got hired for some bigger companies, and they started doing more specific sales training, um, and then I realized that sales wasn't for me. <laughs> Fair. I mean, it sounds like the sales approach has served you extremely well, even if sales as a career wasn't for you. I mean, if, if you feel that's a fair characterization. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think um, there's certain aspects I really love about sales, about meeting people. And, um, you know, I got to travel and just, yeah, being an extrovert, it was a great way to deal with a lot of people all the time. Um, and then... Yeah, there are other things about it that were just too stressful and I just got burnt out. So I wanted to do something more where I felt like I could just have my work speak for itself a little more and I had more, a little more control over my environment and my work. I was going to say, when you, when you talked about training in psychology to be a therapist, wouldn't surprise me if, it, if you would, had been headed in a similar direction down that path. I, I've known a lot of professional therapists and uh, in common with sales and for that matter in common in some ways with uh, with software development mm -hmm. how it feels to do the work and how it feels to be employed as you know with that as your job or your career is definitely different uh, yeah. i've known a lot of therapists who got into it to help people and suddenly felt like being a career therapist wasn't necessarily the right way to do that yeah I, i'm yeah. just i'm amused you say bartender because there was an old study uh, about freudian psychoanalysis that uh, showed that hour for hour psychoanalysts were less effective than bartenders <laughs> at helping people out. And a lot of it seemed to be that, you know, if you're there with a bartender, you'll get a lot more chance to sit and talk it out. And uh, mm -hmm. most people can't yeah. afford the amount of psychoanalysis that they can afford, you know, time spending, uh, spent sitting and drinking beer. Yeah, the, the connection from my psychology path to my beer path was was definitely one that amused me early on when I realized oh I just I am a therapist I'm just kind of an underpaid one <laughs> so well uh, this has been Noah Gibbs with computer science just the useful bits and here with Caitlin Greffley you know I 
think we've had a, a great conversation. I've certainly enjoyed it a great deal. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, for anybody who's uh, lo looking for her out there, again, the Kate Code, the C-A-I-T Code uh, on Twitter. Thanks, Al. Thanks for having me. Yeah, likewise.